Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 37 of The Revenge of Kang. It's such an important day. It's the beginning of chapter 14. Uh, it's the first page where we get to go into the past of the Marvel Universe and start paying off the premise of this adventure. We're coming off of a real high, especially if we don't happen to be a team full of like typical to good intellects like the Invaders, like we talked about last time. Any of the three teams we've been following to this point, the Misfits, the Secret Zoomers, Ford's Furies, the West Coast Avengers, would have gotten through the encounter with Kang and the subsequent reason checks with Flying Colors, and now they'd be excited to leave behind the Kokri in the shitty pocket dimension and get into some real early Marvel 1960s hijinks. And I just, I'm worried that I'm the asshole today. Maybe I've lost perspective. Be my Reddit listeners and tell me, am I the asshole today? Because what's happening here on this page, it's exciting, it's fun in a certain way, but it's just, there are problems I can't overlook. And maybe that's not an indictment of the problems. Maybe that's an indictment of me. But anyway, let's get to it. You'll recall from last time that our heroes hooked up their timeship to Kang's timeship to a power-guzzling escape-the-shithole dimension device, and all three of those gadgets all linked together managed to get our heroes out of the shitty pocket dimension to some pre-programmed coordinates left in the machine by Kang. It says that, quote, The trip out of the pocket dimension and back into normal space and time is harrowing but uneventful, and thank God for that. Things are finally going well. We did not need a pause to quiz the players on what day of the week the Falklands War started. We just get to pass through the time vortex, no obstacles, no quizzes, and when our heroes materialize, the judge reads the following, quote, You seem to have materialized in some sort of gymnasium. The chronometer inside your timeship indicates that the year is 1966, and you are located somewhere in upstate New York. In yet another familiar trope from Doctor Who, it turns out that the time machine needs some time to recalibrate after it lands, so we can't take off in the time machine again for another 10 minutes, which gives us an excuse to step out of the time machine into the unknown gymnasium and just fuck history. Just fuck the timeline. It's 1966. Here we are in a gym somewhere in New York. Let's just get out there and mix it up. I mean, what do we got going on in the timeline right now? No superheroes, Avengers Mansion burned down, the whole thing fucking lousy with Kangs. What are we afraid we're going to break here? Let's go fuck up the 60s. If our heroes do decide to go fuck up the 60s, they step out of their time machine and instantly alarms go off. If not, then they can hang around doing nothing for about five minutes. Either way, the next thing that happens is that the five original X-Men in their original blue slash black and yellow outfits, Marvel Girl, Cyclops, Angel, Beast, and Iceman, all enter the gymnasium. And naturally, when they enter their gymnasium and find an unknown vehicle there, they'll do the first thing any hero would do upon sighting an unknown vehicle in an unexpected location and start trying to beat it the fuck apart like a bonus stage in Street Fighter. That's right, heroes are meeting for the first time in a Marvel comic story, and that means a fight, no matter how ill-motivated. The text informs us to turn to the map of the basement of the X-Mansion on the map sheet at the back of the book, and we join the battle. These are not just five random superheroes, though. Like our heroes, the X-Men are a team. Quote, the X-Men function as a highly trained and organized unit. While fighting the heroes, they will use the following tactics, and it goes on to say, Cyclops shoots lasers out of his eyes. He'll stand around and do that. Present himself as the biggest threat. All Angel can do is fly around and kind of slam into people. 
So he's going to lurk around a little bit, and then when somebody's distracted with Cyclops, he'll swoop in and try to blindside them. Iceman is a little punk. He'll try to surround you with ice and cut you off from your teammates so that all the X-Men can come in and pummel you at once. This also makes him the wizard of the team. Wizard, punk, synonymous in this instance. Beast, at this stage in his career, is just a very smart man with very large hands and feet. And you know what they say about men with big hands and big feet? They're still many years away from any interesting characterization. So Beast just jumps around and kind of punches and kicks people at random. And then finally, we have Marvel Girl, who will put up a force field and then use her telekinesis to throw weights at people. Remember, you're in a gym. Anyway, our heroes know that the X-Men are good guys, but the X-Men don't know that our heroes are good guys because these are baby X-Men who have not met anyone or really done anything yet. So our heroes are either going to have to beat the X-Men into submission or convince them not to fight. Persuading the X-Men not to fight is a good intensity reason feat roll, and depending on what color result you get, green, yellow, or red, you gain either one, two, or five diplomacy points toward convincing the X-Men to stop fighting you. Once you get 10, then they stop fighting you. However, you take a minus two column shift penalty if you fight or dodge at the same time while you're trying to convince them to stop beating you up, which means anybody who doesn't have a reason of at least incredible uh, is actually going to have quite poor odds of convincing the X-Men of anything while defending themselves. So I guess you're just going to have to take a face full of laser to show good faith if you want to talk down the X-Men. Anyway, as usual, when the author uses the intensity rules to either crush your hopes or bleed you dry of karma before he lets you accomplish something, it doesn't actually matter whether you accomplish it, because after about five rounds, if one side is not either talked down or unconscious, Professor X arrives and mentally yells at everybody to shut the fuck up because he detects something in the gymnasium. The X-Men stop fighting, of course. Professor X goes to search the time ship, which he believes to have someone else in it, and we'll pick up there tomorrow. So look, on a basic level, this is all fine. It's good. We got to fight the original X-Men. They're in their hokey 1960s outfits. It's charming. The idea of going back and fighting the original X-Men, it's fun, it's charming, it's what the adventure promises. And here, the author delivers. But only kind of. I don't mean to be ungrateful, especially after the shit that we've been through. This is a welcome change. But it's just, here's the thing. The appeal of the adventure, surely, is to people who know and like 1960s Marvel comics, right? I mean, why would you give a fuck about going back and fighting specifically 1960s Jean Grey if you don't know anything about 1960s Jean Grey? And if you do know anything about 1960s Marvel, this is all subtly but definitely wrong. First of all, let me just establish, we know exactly when this is supposed to be. If we dug into this page enough, some boring continuity details, we would already know, but it's going to be made explicit later. This scene takes place right before the X-Men's first mission, in which they go to the Cape Citadel missile base uh, to fight Magneto for the first time. Minor spoilers later on. The text says Professor X calls up the X-Men to tell them he needs them to come home to go fight Magneto at Cape Citadel in their first mission. It's completely unambiguous. And the thing is, that mission happens like the day after Jean Grey starts at the school. This is all stuff that we see in X-Men issue one. It's right in the comic. I mean, X-Men number one is one of the seminal comics that this whole adventure is celebrating. It's not an obscure comic book. And in it, the whole point is Jean Grey comes to the school. All the boys are horny for her, except for Iceman, either because he's not attracted to women, prepubescent, or a dumbass, which are the three valid reasons not to be into Jean Grey. Jean Grey tries on her costume, looks at herself in the mirror, and all the boys leer at her. And the very day after she joins the school, the team gets sent on its first mission. That is the plot of X-Men number one. And maybe I'm being too demanding. Maybe I'm being a snob. Maybe this is just the effort that I've put in 
makes me persnickety, but I feel like given the fact that I am able to locate the time of this scene down to practically the hour of the day that it happened, it, it is shocking to me that the author got it wrong by three years. So the adventure has struck out here on time. We're three years away from where this sh- scene should be set. What about space? Well, this is upstate New York. I have to give the author that. However, this gymnasium is news to me. A, a gymnasium in the basement of the X-Men mansion not something I'm familiar with. There is a danger room you may have heard of. It doesn't appear in X-Men number one. I don't know the exact history. There are a million billion X-Men comics, and I'm not going to go dig through every one of them to record this episode, but I'm pretty confident the danger room doesn't show up until later, especially in the form most people would be familiar with it. However, in lieu of the danger room in X-Men number one, which remember is a comic that takes place like at the time of this scene, in that issue, Professor X has training machines set up in a room in the second story of the X-Men mansion, and that's where the X-Men train. So on space as well, we've struck out. This is the X-Mansion. However, a basement gymnasium is not where the X-Men train. One additional advantage of using the above ground portion of the X-Mansion as a site for this combat, rather than the possibly non-existent basement gymnasium, in addition to it being accurate instead of inaccurate, is that it would have allowed us to use the lovely and functional map of the ground floor of the X-Mansion that we will actually find at the end of this book instead of the map of the basement of the X-Mansion that is supposed to be at the end of this book but isn't. And by the way, just to complete the circle of incompetence, that lovely and functional map of the first floor of the X-Mansion in the back of this book never used for anything. There are no events that happen there in this adventure. So, okay, we've struck out on space and we've struck out on time. What about characters? Well, these are the original X-Men, but it says, quote, the X-Men function as a highly trained and organized unit. They definitely do not at this stage, because keep in mind, this is minutes before their first mission. And Jean Grey, this is like the first time she's ever worn her costume, basically. This is her first full day at the school, her first full day knowing these other four members of the team. And the other members of the team haven't done much together either. There's some later retcons that kind of try to sneak in some previous work these characters have done together before what is stated to be their first mission in X-Men number one. But Well-Oiled Machine is stretching things to the breaking point for sure. Jean has just met the rest of them, and the rest of them have done maybe a couple of things, and I don't think that had even been established in continuity at the time this was written. They are untested, untried students in training. All of these little problems collectively make up the dumbest thing on this page, but it's especially because it's as though the author has gone out of his way to weave around all of the better choices that could have been made here. I don't know exactly why he felt the need to change the time from 1963 to 1966. I just, I don't know why the author didn't want to use the material that was actually in X-Men number one here. But if he didn't want to, if he had some reason, there are so many other options. The X-Men, what people forget about the X-Men, and I've mentioned this on the show recently, but just as a reminder, the X-Men was a bad comic book early on. It was not a popular early 1960s Marvel property. And the X-Men didn't get up to a whole lot with the rest of the Marvel Universe. They were not a big part of the Marvel world. So you could have picked really any time you wanted to in those early years. And it would have been plausible that uh, the X-Men from that time would have not really interacted much with the rest of the continuity, could still maybe be snuffed out by Kang, and, you know, that would lead to no more X-Men in the future. Would have been perfectly plausible. You could have have talked about what the X-Men were actually doing in 1966. And if you had gone that route, instead of using a random non-existent basement, non-existent in the comics, non-existent in this adventure, and non-existent in our hearts, you could have used the danger room, 
which is an iconic part of the X-Men mythos. The only thing I can think of is maybe the author didn't want to go any later into the X-Men's timeline because if he had, then the X-Men would know Scarlet Witch, who's one of the default player characters for this adventure. They would have run into her as a villain. But that's a fucking amazing opportunity. Why would you dodge that? Why wouldn't you have a little sidebar that says, you know, Wanda, of course, knows the X-Men well. She has a long history with them. But the X-Men at this stage only know her as a villain who works for Magneto. So they're going to react accordingly. It makes your fight cute work better. But you can't do that scene as it stands because this is alternate reality 1966 where only the things that happened in 1963 have happened so far. And at that stage, the X-Men have not met Wanda. So there's no interest and no interaction. Once again, I, I just have a feeling that I'm being the asshole here. Let me not get caught up in the details. We're here in the 1960s fighting the X-Men. This is what I wanted. But everything is just off. Everything is just wrong. And I don't understand why. And even if I am the asshole, you have to admit, a scene where our heroes materialize in the danger room, the X-Men assume that it's a test by Professor X. Then when Wanda comes out of the danger room, they assume it's an attack by Magneto. And they fight the West Coast Avengers thinking that they're some unknown band of villains is way better than this non-motivated bullshit in alternate reality 1966 in a gymnasium. So I don't know why the author went out of his way to change everything so it is both wrong and more boring, uh, but that's the dumbest thing in this page. However, while I may be an asshole, I'm not enough of an asshole not to be a little bit excited, a little bit pumped getting into the early 60s Marvel adventures to come. Join me tomorrow when Professor X finds our ticket to time travel hijinks inside of Kang's time ship, and our author's predominant kink surfaces yet again on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Mega Dumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband. <laughs>